Welcome to episode 172 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. I am here at the end of a very long day where I saw about 19 students, ranging in age from 3 to 17, (laughs) and in two different states. (laughs) So if Mm. I'm a little incoherent, that's why. But um, I did find out that I have a caseload of pre-K to second grade at a school this year, and lots of groups, which are not my favorite in telepractice. So Mm -hmm. groups of two to three, all of my sessions are groups of two to three kids. And I was trying to, you know, sit there and think about what I was going to do with all these kids. And um, the first thing that came to mind was doing green screen. And so I went back to GoGo Speech. Um, she doesn't have a membership right now. We're still waiting to see if that can't comes out at some point. I know she had a baby in the meantime. So Abby, we still love you if you're still out there. <laughs> and um, but still, you can go back and purchase uh, individual ones of her lessons, and they're about ten dollars each. And I promise you, they are worth the bang for your buck. Uh, so and they're in themes and in months of the year and things like that. So when I'm trying to think of what to do, I just pull up the month that we're in. I pulled up August because we're still close to that and looked up. There was a back to school kind of gingerbread man change seeing the gingerbread man through the school. So I knew it would be very applicable and would work well with all of these kids Mm -hmm. that are new at school in the preschool and the kindergarten and that I could hit articulation targets. I could make it very play-based and um, just make it really fun and engaging. So that's what I did for the majority of my sessions today with those younger kids. And it had a lot of modeling in it. I have a lot of kids that have low vocabulary and it had lots of um, just like very contextual. It wasn't a flashcard that was up there, you know, and I thought it worked really well. And so that is something that I will probably go back to for the entire. I'm just filling in for a short while, like a maternity leave or something. So from now into November, it's going to be me and the green screen. (laughs) (laughs) You and go-go speech, right? Me and go-go speech. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. That's great. And I'm glad the school worked out in terms of letting you know what your assignment was going to be, that kind of thing. that took a while. And so beyond November, are they going to have more stuff for you to do? I don't know. We will see. I might... told my sister the other day that maybe I would just move to Park City and go skiing for the winter if they didn't have another spot for me. So that's the backup plan. (laughs) It is uh, coming up on ski season. That is true. That's going to be happening very soon in Utah. So yeah, you have options. (laughs) Well, on the show today we have someone uh, i've known for a long time uh, actually a former student who's gone on and done really great things ac holmes she's out in colorado and she has really has some unique takes on play and so she's taken everything that she's been trained to do in terms of play with children and she's applied it to adults so it's really interesting what she has to say so We'll have AC. This episode is brought to you by TheraPlatform. If you're a therapist in private practice looking to spend more time with clients and less time on admin tasks, it may be time to consider automation software. TheraPlatform is an all-in-one EHR, practice management, and teletherapy software built specifically for therapists, and it's designed to automate day-to-day tasks. TheraPlatform offers a free 30-day trial with no credit card required. Visit TheraPlatform.com today. So, AC, welcome to the podcast. Would you mind sharing more about your background? Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, been listening for quite a while now. Todd, you and I go way, way back. Yes. Um, I'm AC Holmes. I am a speech language pathologist by training. 
but my career started in the education of deaf children and my undergrad uh, journey included (laughs) ASL classes for the education of deaf children. And turns out I cannot do sign language. (laughs) My brain is not processing. I couldn't, it's learning a second language, new grammar, all of that. And I panicked. I can't do this. How am I going to teach stepchildren if I can't sign? And this was in the way, way olden days and cochlear implants were just getting FDA approval for children. And so suddenly Mm -hmm. there was a need for professionals that could work with children using cochlear implants. And my advisor at the time, Mary Compton, um, Mm -hmm. said, would you like to do that instead? by the way, we'll pay for it. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> and yes, I think that's, that's what we'll do. And then I absolutely fell in love with it. So, um, so that's where my journey began. Way back at uh, University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Yeah. We don't have to say what year. But it was no, we don't, we don't have to say what year. <laughs> <laughs> you can look it up on my LinkedIn. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Um, so uh, from from there, you finished at UNC Greensboro, and then where did you go from there? But I, I also know that you had some exposure while you were there to telepractice. Yep, with so, some of the faculty. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, one one really impressive professor there at uh, UNCG <laughs> was bringing us technology about about teletherapy and and the internet of things way before anybody knew what we were talking about. Um, That is our very own Dr. Todd Houston. Todd, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember you telling me that one day we would have refrigerators that would know when we were out of milk. And this was in 2000. And Mm -hmm. our minds were blown. And look at what we have today. (laughs) We can barely live without that thing. Um, And so all of that just translating into the ability to do teletherapy, especially with those children who were using cochlear implants. And there were very few professionals who were trained to work with them. So, yeah. um, I mean, urban situations are one thing, but especially children in rural areas. So needing to have a professional that was well-trained to work with them through a video camera was often the really the only option. So um, you were one of the innovators in that field, making that happen. For those kids, so I was pretty lucky to have to have learned all of that very early, very early on. Um, didn't use it <laughs> until the <laughs> sure. pandemic, but sure. I knew it existed, <laughs> that it was right. possible, um, and had seen its success. So, so when you left UNC Greensboro, where did you go first? Mm, I did some work in one of the auditory oral schools. Uh, Clark Jacksonville for a little bit of time there and then um, moved back to North Carolina. That was my home. Uh, Spent quite a bit of time in the public school system there doing itinerant teacher of the deaf services, uh, working very closely alongside all of the speech therapists at the private school, but then also, of course, in the school system and realized that if I just went back to school, got my speech degree, I could be a much better, you know, professional to work with these with these kiddos with uh, with hearing loss. And then I went to school to be that SLP. And it turns out I really was interested in dysphagia. So completely mm-hmm. switched tracks uh, for That's a couple fine. of years. <laughs> yep. Spent some time in acute care with mm-hmm. adults. Um, it was a wonderful two years, but sure. then had kids and, you know, transitioned back into that sort of pediatric schedule that can be helpful sometimes. Did early intervention home health with um, specialty in hearing loss, working with uh, Karen Parrish and Emily's Mm -hmm. Barry's group. I worked with Karen Parrish too. Of course you did. (laughs) Who hasn't worked with Karen (laughs) Parrish if they're in our field? That was my first job out of college was working with Karen. Okay, we need to talk more about that. Yes, we do. Yeah, yeah. Karen All good things, all good things. Karen's wonderful. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was with them for three or four years, I guess. Uh, home health, obviously specializing in uh, hearing loss, but that had was at the point where insurance reimbursement really changed. So 
Karen had to open her practice up to everything, not just kids with hearing loss. Um, and that's when I got interested. I was like, well, I did all this phasia with the adults. Let me try it feeding the kids. Ended up doing a lot of feeding therapy. Really enjoyed that too. So uh, speech was speech was a special career career for me. Um, and I did that for a long time. And then I did some. So in Colorado, we call it home health. North so Carolina, how, how did you go from health. North Carolina to Colorado? Oh, right. <laughs> did you meet some man I, along the way and he took you to so, Colorado? No, I dragged him. So oh. we, yeah. Oh, that's a year I forgot. I, I have a touch <laughs> of the, the ADHD uh, kids. So this is a ride. Buckle up. Um, <laughs> when I was in the school system, hmm? it was public school teacher salary which is, you know, great. Um, And I was a teacher at that time, not even speech yet. So that pay scale and realized that I would like to put my very good knowledge to a little, maybe some more income, support myself a little better and ended up working with Cochlear Americas, one of the cochlear implant manufacturers Mm -hmm. for a year doing some field rep work. Uh, It's called an outreach specialist. I called myself the anti-salesperson because I had to go and convince (laughs) hearing aid professionals that they needed to give their hearing aid patients away. And hearing aid patients are very lucrative. So Mm -hmm. they were not super excited about doing that, but I was pretty good. Anti-salesperson. Yeah. I didn't really help them with sales and I wasn't in charge of the sales for our team. Um, But yeah, so that company is based in Centennial, Colorado, Mm -hmm. and they brought Mm -hmm. us out as field reps, you know, whole Mm -hmm. nationwide team of field reps, weeks at, you know, week long training sessions at Mm -hmm. a time. And I just fell in love with Colorado. And I was like, "Uh, I think I'm supposed to live here. And so I met that boy, Todd, and (laughs) and then we went to Virginia and that's when I went back to school and all those things. So I finally dragged him out here uh, just because we were, it was I wanted to. <laughs> I like it here. And did he adapt? He did. Yeah, he loves it too. Yep. Good. Yep. Good. Family is very happy and thriving here. That's good. That's oh, good. Yeah. So they're they're sort of ongoing, not happy endings, but just ongoing happiness. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've, I mean, there's a lot of endings, but they're like pauses and like stepping stones to the next yep. thing, and all yep. happy. So yeah, I'm pretty lucky. And- I have you know, several colleagues in in Colorado. Some you've just introduced me to, I must say. <laughs> but uh, Joanna Stith is uh, in Colorado. She was uh, she did her PhD okay. at South Carolina and okay. ABT. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep, I think I might have met her when I was with Cochlear because South Carolina was my territory. So NUSC was a was one of our clients. She was in Charleston and and then they I think went to Texas first and then her husband was relocated to Colorado. Oh, okay. Cool. I will have to look her up. Yeah. So yeah. she's uh she has a private practice there and doing quite well. She's done a lot with um behavior. Wait, is she in Colorado Springs? I think so. Ah, that's why I know her. I don't know her from back then. I know her from now. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was trying to sort of build out the program of the kids that I was seeing in, in Colorado Springs to bring more hearing loss kids onto my caseload because in Colorado with the home health, it was not the first line of defense to have mm-hmm. um, one of us from an agency going in, even though it was covered in addition to the what state provide. Anyway, I was trying. So yeah, I do know her. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit of a small world. So always Colorado is going to attract a lot of great people. So that's, that's good. (laughs) It's pretty great here. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you never know. (laughs) Especially with Utah. I know. (laughs) Well, so you might see what they did when I went to Utah and lived there with Kim, not with Kim, but when I was there with Kim. (laughs) Right. Uh, I had in my mind this idea of sort of the West. And mm-hmm. what was in my mind was these beautiful pine trees, different color, you know, different hardwoods up the side of the mountain. And then you right. move to the desert. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and the then eye. when you go, see, Utah is all one desert, yep. really. A lot of Colorado so, is too. But sand and rocks. 
in yeah in in northeast in north <clears throat> northern uh, Utah uh, in Cache Valley. It's a high plains desert. Is really what it's yeah. classified as. Mm-hmm. And they have mountains, but it, they're all bare. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. So it's beautiful, especially, especially if you came from North Carolina, right? <laughs> Where all you only ever see is green. <laughs> yep. Right. So it, you know, it's it was interesting once I would, when I was there and living for a while, and come back east and actually see trees everywhere. It was like a, it was like a thing. It was like, <laughs> wow, there are trees everywhere because they, they don't have that many of- in Utah. I find it kind of suffocating. Like when we go back I to agree. visit and I leave the airport and we're driving down the road and I'm like, wait, I can't see anything. Yep. <laughs> Where are we going? The, are we the driving trees into the everywhere? Trees? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what people in Utah told me yeah. is that when they come east, they feel claustrophobic yeah. because they say they drive by looking at the mountains. Yep. Yeah, that's the direct. They know where direct they direction. are. <laughs> By looking so, up at the mountain I as know. a point of reference. And, yeah. And then when I'm places like Nebraska and all of those oh. that are totally flat, it like gives me a panic attack because I can't see <laughs> yeah, mountains. Like not claustrophobic, but it's like the reverse. Like, I don't like, know where I am. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah. Yes. So she just wanders around in circles when she's out in those kind <laughs> yep, of places. Yep. When it's really Being flat. Stuck in a cornfield, walking around <laughs> in circles. That's how you get crap. Where's circles. Kim? <laughs> that's me. right. That's that's it was all Kim. <laughs> well, if she did a corn maze, we'd never see her again. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a combination of them both. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. That's right. It, you know, she'd be gone. So <laughs> AC, so as you're in Colorado, how does this new venture sort of start to blossom or does the idea come from because it's really unique and i want you to have <laughs> full throttle here and just explain it how it all came together and what you're doing because i think it's really neat so as i said before speech was such an important part of my life being a speech therapist was was so important to me but as careers do i got burnt out whether that was who knows why a number of reasons, right? My fault, society's fault, mm-hmm. the type of agencies that are out here fault. Who who knows? Uh, but it was happening, and so I knew that I needed something different. But it was really important to me. I didn't want to just go back to school and get a different degree. And um, I put so much work into what it is that I'm doing. But also, it's just the point that. So, backing up a little bit coming from being trained by auditory verbal therapists way back in the day, being an auditory oral therapist before I became a speech pathologist, all of my education and career was play-based. So mm-hmm. there yeah. was the, the first time I walked into a school and I, I I'm proud to say that UNCG never presented it. Um, working with small children with worksheets, you know, and, right. and, and drill and wrote and that kind of thing. And I know that that's what a lot of teachers were th- taught for a long time and even special ed teachers, but our, my, the UNCG program was so amazing. Um, Mary V. Compton, Wendy Walker, you, Todd, mm-hmm. that whole team was just so amazing. Karen Parrish being a model um, mm-hmm. of the, that's not how kids learn. Kids learn through play. So whatever mm-hmm. it is that we need to do as the professional, put it into play. Um, literally. (laughs) And so that I didn't know another way to work with kids. And so that had just, that was part of who I was. And, um, is once I did start getting involved in the public school systems and then, and then coming and just being in different situations and realizing that that is not the norm, (laughs) that is actually an unusual way to practice and work with children apparently. And I was like, well, that's, awful weird uh yeah <laughs> <Awful>. terrible <laughs> sad uh please stop uh and so I decided I was like okay maybe I can do something with that let's let's try some advocacy um let's see who's doing that work who needs help so I started looking into the pretty much the first stop was the Lego Foundation for me um they are if nobody knows about them they're really fascinating like third party I mean sure Lego f- put some funding into them but it is 
really impressive research and work and mm-hmm. initiatives that they do. Uh, so try to get involved there, but it is still Lego. So, so were thousands of other people, <laughs> you sure. know, they post, they post a role and have hundreds of applicants. And at the time I didn't know anybody mm-hmm. there, but I thought, okay, well, Lego's too big. What about a smaller toy company? So then I tried to insert myself into the toy industry and decided to try to do some consulting for toy companies, game makers, apps, uh, whatever, to help them make their products to be completely accessible for children with language disorders. Because it's such a niche kind of thing that a lot of people really don't understand And even when I was having conversations about it, they're like, yeah, so kids with autism. And I'm like, maybe, but maybe it's (laughs) not, Mm -hmm. you know, and so trying to explain that this is something very, it is sort of specific. And then it turns out that they're, you know, my 15% was not enough for them to like create a role for that size population, which is also sad in itself. But um, so I tried, so I spent some time in the toy industry. That's a fascinating industry, got Mm -hmm. involved in a, um, a nonprofit that supported women in that industry, just kind of a sideways sort of thing. And being in that industry put me in front of a lot more corporate situations. Mm-hmm. And then considering, all right, maybe I can talk to them about bringing play to their kids. And I, just, mm-hmm. I was trying anything because I just, at that point, I knew I wanted it to be play. And I needed it to be not therapy. <laughs> that was yeah. pretty much it. <laughs> right, right, right. And um, I was actually, uh, so I was also just trying to get my name out there with the LLC that I started. I was trying to do still some of that consulting. So I wrote an article called um, Why Our Future Leaders Need Play. So I started mm-hmm. to do a lot of research and I was finding things I didn't had never read before because boring, like Harvard Business Review and Forbes and Inc. and all those corporate mm-hmm. businessy type things uh, to look at what leadership skills are expected in the next 10 years, et cetera. And I was like, through that research, I was like, okay, it, there's plenty of people out there that are doing this work for telling people that kids need to play, but nobody's saying that adults need to play that, that I was finding. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is this is it. I'm going to do this. So I just made up a job <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's what I do now. Um, that's called being an entrepreneur, but it's really just making up a job. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I made up this job and now I have a company called boardless and the boring response for what I do with it is consulting for employee engagement and retention, which is very important. Um, but the not boring part is that I bring in all the neuroscience of play into that consulting role and the in the education for people living sad boring business lives <laughs> <laughs> so so why don't you um why don't you say okay let, let's let's do some role play here <clears throat> so okay. I'm, I'm calling you up i'm i'm uh i have this business of of maybe 20 people that work for me and I don't think they're very engaged in their jobs. Mm-hmm. I think they're, they're not kinda... only 23% of employees are. <laughs> are only 23% are engaged in their job. Yeah. Tim just got engaged in, in, the, job, in, <laughs> the, in the conversation. <laughs> hey, it's I saw so like sad. 20 kids today. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm still like vertical is, is a good thing. <laughs> and it's only four o'clock for you. Yeah, it was it was a big day. <laughs> That's a big day. That's a big day. Yeah, so you're engaged so, at work. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so how would you respond? And then, if you came out to my job site, what would you do? So, I always start with education. Shocking, mm-hmm. my background, right? Uh, but. You'll see if you Google things like employee engagement, you'll see a lot of stuff that's going around. And it has been for a couple of years, even when I was starting this, but it was all um, just based on fun and games. And it was mm-hmm. really often forced fun or mm-hmm. just a happy hour, which is problematic mm-hmm. in many different reasons. Um, so I almost have to start with education to either get leadership's buy-in or sometimes the 
people's buy-in. So it's not enough to just come in and say, hey, employees, Todd wants you to play because generally your average adult, the first person, uh, no, thanks. I just want to do my job and go home. Right. Yeah. Play, playing is a waste of time. We don't, we don't need to go play laser tag in the middle of the day on a Wednesday. <laughs> so absolutely. You don't, you're right. <clears throat> so I start with education about what play really is, what's happening in our brain when we play, why play that. So like the definition of play doesn't actually have anything to do with fun. Um, it's, uh, there's a researcher out of Germany who is the only one that I can find that has come up with really a definitive, like a one-liner definition of play. You know, Lego Foundation has four characteristics and I even created one that has 10 characteristics across, (laughs) you know, from all different kinds of research, but there's this guy in Germany or Austria, somewhere over there, um, who studies personality. And so he has a definition of her playfulness and that is the ability to reframe any situation to be entertaining, interesting, or stimulating. So hmm. being able to take that and putting that into work. So you're a manager or you're the boss and you have 20 people, numbers are down. Things are not good. That's serious. Should we be having fun with the bad numbers? Maybe, probably not. No. Probably not. Can we make them interesting and uh, stim- stimulating them? Yeah. Yeah, we can. And so thinking about how to apply playfulness. So getting full teams on board for that always starts with education. So I do workshops where we learn about what happens in our brain and and the differences and all that kind of stuff. And we play while we're doing it, obviously. Um, And then the consulting aspect usually starts with what I call a culture audit. So there's a lot of there's platforms that are out there for businesses to use that will send employee surveys and kind of automate them and they'll get data back. Uh, Yes. No one likes their manager, right? People are already looking for another job. All these numbers are coming in. Um, But most of those platforms don't provide like a now what (laughs) there's a Mm -hmm. couple, there's some that are recently improving. Like um, there's one called instill AI that has uh, nudges and playbooks and it's really cool what they're doing with it. But Mm-hmm. Some companies can't afford those. So I'll do a culture audit. So I send out surveys, get information from the team, get a really good idea of, you know, are there certain departments that are worse than others? And then try to figure out just looking for patterns in that and then working with leadership to see which areas need to be improved. And then I also work, um, it's good to have my like fresh eyes because I can take, instead of just saying, this is an area of need, oh no, this is what's wrong with your business make it better. A, I have ideas to make it better, but I also am very good at linking it to, to outcomes. So the mm-hmm. companies, especially a, a CEO and an OO and an FO want to know what KPIs this is going to bother. Right. So right. linking those together and then implementing strategies, whether it's in an office, if people are back to the office, if they're hybrid situations, um, and, and things like that. And then also training anyone that does facilitation of communication or meetings or whatever it is, helping them to learn to be more playful themselves. So then I work myself out of a job with each client until next Very year. Cool. Maybe again. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> See, I, I've, I've been in some of these trainings, not yours, not yours, <laughs> but obviously staff development, things like that. Right. And I, um, I think what happens sometimes or what I've I've experienced what the way you're approaching it is how to use play to stimulate engagement, creativity, um, buy-in mm-hmm. uh to what you know the company's doing or maybe even the nonprofit is doing. Yep, yep. I remember being uh in some trainings where you know, it was centered around team building. Mm-hmm. You know, that was sort of the magic word or phrase that it's we all have to, yeah, yeah, make, we have yeah. to do team building. Someone's going to make me do an icebreaker, share You're going to take me take facts. my shoes off at work? <laughs> yes. yes. Well. Interesting facts are the what, worst things ever. Yes. What I learned about the team building I did was I 
am really terrible at making animals out of balloons. (laughs) (laughs) They always popped. I would almost have a really nice doggy and then it would pop. That's not and that has and that has stayed with me ever since. Yeah, like for a long time. See, that's that. This is my mission so that people don't have those stories and they don't hear. All right, it's time for our icebreaker. Oh, uh, I gotta go to the bathroom. See, sure. Okay, so how does what do you teach places to do different than that? What Um, what does it look like when you're there? Yeah, so my favorite things are and. I mean, I have lists of ideas, but my goal is to like instill playfulness into them so that they start to come up with them on their own. So one right. of the, this is a fairly common practice for brainstorming, um, even outside of sort of the ones that are play professionals. Also, I should say when I was researching all of this to start it, I said before, like, no one's out there getting adults to play. Now there's plenty. There's a lot of us. <laughs> I'm definitely not the only one, by the way. Um, but so a common one amongst us is uh, it's called worst first. So if you're brainstorming at a meeting and you walk in and the meeting leader says, the facilitator is like, all right, I've got stickies. I'm ready. Everybody put every idea up here. No bad ideas. Like, what are they? What are mm-hmm. they? But mm-hmm. still, everyone's trying to come up with the best idea. That's, that's right. always the goal, right? You want to be the yeah. one. Oh yeah. I solved that problem. That was me. Um, and what that does in our brain is it shuts us down because no one has the best idea, especially not in mm-hmm. four minutes. Otherwise we wouldn't be having the meeting about the problem. <laughs> we would have already right. solved it. Right. <clears throat> so we need to get out of that kind of headspace. So if you start with worst first, so let's say, I don't, we've got three clients that aren't calling us back. I don't know. And so like, all right, what does our communication plan need to be for them? And you come up with really terrible ideas. So I might say kind for of that, like, like when people say wrong answers only. <laughs> yes. It's, to- it's yeah. It's just like wrong answers only. Yeah. 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 So I might say, um, we blast these three companies on all every social media platform <laughs> and we take out a billboard and say, these companies aren't calling us back. Like that's a terrible (laughs) idea. That would be terrible. So you do three to five minutes of that. And what never fails to happen is that one of those, a few of those terrible ideas have like an aspect of it that is maybe not so bad. What if we try that? And so, Mm -hmm. so that's my, that's one of my favorite and a very common brainstorming one. Um, I have a, really long list of replacement interesting fact about yourself questions, Kim. So hopefully you'll never Uh-oh. have to answer one of those again, because I'm trying to blast them all over the internet. Um, and the people <laughs> I know kind of in my space are getting better. So um, my favorite one is what's the last internet rabbit hole you fell down. So you just I could answer that for Kim. <laughs> what was it? What was it? What was it? Oh, Kim there was, Mine was the recent Utah YouTuber that got arrested for abusing her children. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. See, and so, and then everybody goes around and there's something always true something crime in there. related. Though. Yeah, true crime. <laughs> right. yeah. I'm going to say two words true Those are pretty crime. True crime. Yep. Yeah. That's her. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, like, you know, it'll be like baking some specific type of thing. I don't know. But yeah. what it does is brings out something that allows for connection with probably at least one other person in the group that somebody may not have mentioned as an interesting fact. So yeah. I, li- I like that one. Um, I like if you, uh, if you got a gift certificate to a bookstore, but you could only get a nonfiction book, what would the topic be? Mm. So kind of, you know, instead of what, what do you like to read about? You know, like just, so just being a little more, we're reframing. We're just reframing. Mm-hmm. The usual questions. Um, and then there is one, Priya Parker. Do you guys know Priya Parker? She wrote The Art of Gathering. Oh, she talks yes, a lot about is. just bringing people together. And somebody had posted, instead of acting asking what's interesting, share something boring about yourself. Yeah. And everyone, oh, what? It just gets you thinking in a in a in a different headspace. So yeah, I think my my husband's a high school teacher and I think he's done that one before. Tell us the least interesting thing. Yeah, about the least you. interesting thing. <laughs> And that, and that also is like, um, because usually the people that are eager to answer the 
the interesting thing question, whatever it is, is, is going to be really cool and very interesting. But then everybody else in the room that does not have something cool and interesting just feels really bad about themselves. Yes. <laughs> so we, we try to, we try to avoid those. Um, and then I also like to incorporate more of the traditional um, things that, you know, the ping pong table, take out the ping pong table from your office. Nobody's using it. You take it out. <laughs> It, just get rid of it, sell it, whatever, um, and put a Lego table in instead and just have just piles and piles of Legos. Just the whole table's covered in those green base plates and um, no kits, just random bricks. And it's just open. So when you're on, haven't you've been on a really long call and that was, oh my gosh, that was a big deal. And that client really stressed me out. <sighs> I need a break. And the, you know, Google that and every single first answer, take a walk. I'm like, well, then I'm just stressed out while I'm walking. So (laughs) if you walk over to the Lego table, you have, you've given yourself a new environment and then you get to do something with your hands that is completely pointless and it doesn't matter. And maybe you don't even end up liking what you built (laughs) because you didn't have the right brick or whatever, but it doesn't matter because it took you somewhere and you're probably always going to end up liking what you built. You're like, look, look what I just did. And then Mm -hmm. you're like refreshed and you can go back. And then the other perk of that is I always, I make sure this is not for the break room. This is, that's not where the table goes and it's not for the waiting room. It's not for clients or guests. This is somewhere in your space where anybody might walk past it going to and from their office so Kim, if you're there, <laughs> rage building after that <laughs> terrible meeting you just had or whatever. Twenty um, children and, that she saw. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I walk through whatever my day is and I'm like, oh, do you need another green piece? Here, there. it looks like you have a lot of green. And then all of a sudden we're talking and maybe we're not even in the same department, but we're building together and it's completely low pressure rather than go meet one a, a coworker you've never talked to before. And this now yeah. it's just happening naturally. naturally. Yeah. So little yeah. ways to just pepper in play. So I think I have, I have two questions for you and they're both selfish ones. <laughs> I'm ready. Number one is what do we do for ourselves? If we are at home working where, you know, we don't see anyone else in person, how could we like do things to increase our engagement and not get bored and not get burnt out and all of those things where you don't have that physical contact? Yep. Yep. Um, Kim can't get UPS deliveries anymore because she'll talk to the driver. <laughs> hey, this is and the you, whole reason it, I have a podcast is so I can talk to other talk adults to other in people. my life. <laughs> so listen, if we, I've talked to other podcasting friends about that very specific thing, because one thing about play is that it's very personal. So I would not find it enjoyable <laughs> or uplifting or refreshing to produce and create a podcast. That is really, (laughs) really low on my list, Kim, but you've already done it. You've found your play. So I'm willing to bet you've never considered your podcast as a form of play, Um, but it is. So I mentioned those 10 characteristics of play. I never remember all 10, but here we'll see what we can do. So it's personal because you like it. I would not. It obviously brings you joy, right? Um, It is optional. It's not required by, no one's making you do this. Right, Todd? Mm. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's iterative. So every time you do it, it's something a little bit different. You're always talking to new people. Um, It is probably, I'm going to guess it's skill balanced for you because your background is not audio production, right? No. (laughs) Yeah. So you had to find something where you were up leveling your skill just enough to make it a challenge, but it wasn't too difficult. Otherwise you would have quit already. So we got skill balanced. Um, It's actively engaging because you have to be completely here focused. Otherwise you, that would be a terrible podcast. Uh, What'd you say? (laughs) Um, What are my other ones? I stopped counting. So I don't even know how many we're at. Uh, brings you joy, iterative, socially interactive, and 
Yeah, I don't know. That's most of them. So that those are my characteristics of what play is. So this podcast for you, Kim, is play. That's my play. Okay, so, so people aren't going to start a podcast, but looking for things that have that characteristics. And it may yep. have to be something that's not actually work-related just yes. to bring you that balance. So I think it's interesting when we start to think about that. Are we adding play or are we making what we already do playful? Yeah. And I will say for the majority of this audience and my background and the two of you, we already play (laughs) all day on the floor with children. But the deal with that play is that it's not really optional. We have to do it or they it's mm-hmm. to their detriment, right? Um, oh, that was that's another characteristic is that it's seemingly purposeless. So you get some pretty cool outcomes. Do you meet cool people? You have learned a new skill. There might have some monetary value, but the, I'm guessing those three things aren't really the reason you're doing it, right? right? Like you're not trying to make this your new career, and you're going to quit speech. So the the when we play with our kids when we're working in in therapeutic situations that seemingly purposeless part of it is is missing um a lot of times it feels like the iterative part is missing (laughs) i don't maybe that was just me (laughs) sometimes it's like i cannot sing another nursery rhyme they're all the same (laughs) um so so when you're in a job where play is already your job then you probably do have to take have to find something else something but else. um but if we can when you know thinking about corporate roles and, and business folks um also with you you are literally tied to your computer <laughs> that's you know you can't yep. you yep. can't just pick up and go work at the coffee shop yeah so that's another sort of a stickler thing. So finding something outside of work is probably very important. But thinking about corporate roles, you know, software developer, IT person, or whatever it is, if they work from home, people that aren't necessarily tied to their computer, um, working through the process of really understanding what playfulness means, like on a neuroscientific level, it is actually not so hard to make your work playful. Yeah. In some situations. And could that be like even that like, I don't know, kind of gamification, like let's see how many soap notes I can get done in the next five minutes to make it a competition and things like that. Is that what you're talking about when you like incorporating the playfulness in? So a lot of people respond really well to that kind of thing, even for themselves. Um, I hesitate to encourage just for people listening, um, for managers or bosses or leaders to implement that because then we're yeah. falling back into the yeah. first fun aspect of it. And um I I don't work that well that way. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> so there's just some brains out there who are like, that doesn't work. And that but I have for me. a good friend who's like, I set a timer and I see how mm-hmm. fast I can unload my dishwasher every time I unload it. And I'm like, that right. okay. Cool. <laughs> good for you. Like that just doesn't work for me, right? Um is so making a, sure that it's is there a new Olympic competition or something <laughs> right, for yes. dishwasher? No, that's the thing. Like, and so that makes it play, right? Because it is seemingly purposeless. Like, right. I mean, you're unloading right. your dishwasher, but why are you racing? So that it can be really great as long as it's uh self-imposed for mm-hmm. sure. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, another characteristic, a very important one, is that it has to be intrinsically motivating. Okay. So mm-hmm. again, like you really, it's whatever it is, is that you want to do. So a lot of, another thing that I work with um, a lot of teams on is helping them find meaning in whatever it is they're doing. And a lot of that comes from, you know, if you're the data analyst for whatever company it is, and you get lost and I'm just putting numbers in a spreadsheet. It's like, mm-hmm. well, but you're not, you're putting numbers in a spreadsheet to serve this purpose, to serve this purpose, which helps this population of people. And so helping people understand how to um, keep that meaning attached yeah. and, and become um, like mission driven within their role, which obviously means they need to work for a mission driven company, which is a whole nother conversation, right. um, but encouraging all of that too. Yeah. 
So my second question was, um, I work with some teens and I'm helping them transition to the job world. And a lot of them are neurodivergent. They're on the autism spectrum. They have ADHD. And I just like... I think they need this in their jobs. And how? what do you suggest for, like, finding this in a job or advocating for it if it's not there for to teach our students to do? Because, I like, they won't survive in a job without these right. kinds of things right. there for them. Yep. So what's really cool, um, I, I, this, I mean, it's sort of my echo chamber, right? You know, my LinkedIn feed is full of this. Yeah. But it's it's what I do actively, and it's there's some really great advocacy work that is being started about supporting neurodiversity at at work in in office settings and corporate situations. Um, so it, I mean, it's still grassroots and obviously just coming. growing. Yeah. I mean, we just learned yeah. the term right, like what two thousand nineteen was it eighteen? But yeah, so but it is growing. So. One, I want to first say that to like encourage you that there are going to start to be employers who get this right. and get that and and get them. Um, I mean, I'm in uh, HR communities and there is some growing discussions of like hiring practices are really <laughs> neurotypically geared right. very much so right. to the point of discrimination. So uh, mm-hmm. changes on that front are coming. So that's important for them themselves, as far as some self-advocacy. And I'm really glad you asked this question because it's one aspect of my work that I'm still trying to figure out and make sure I keep like my hand in. And it's just making sure because that's when we stop playing, right? Is when we're teenagers and all of a sudden school is so important and we have to do grades and maybe you play a sport but you're not playing a sport just to play it. You're playing a sport. So it's on your resume. So mm-hmm. you make, you know, um, so just encouraging children to play for longer and not letting go of it, even as their prefrontal cortex starts to like hard and Yeah. Yeah. Get angry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So just, and then, you know, being a, a population of professionals who tell those teenagers, like, don't listen to society when they say that's childish. Mm-hmm. It is there. We should always be childlike because that's how our brain develops yeah. continually, even as a 43 year old. So, um, yeah, just reminding them of that. Yeah. That was interesting. I, um, Everything goes back to the Barbie movie for me lately. But... Right. Yeah, no kidding, because it's so relevant. Like, pick a topic. We but, will yeah, find a way. Is it America Ferreira that's in there? And she was doing an interview, and she was talking about how, like, the concept so of funny. that um, boys kind of are allowed to keep a lot of the play yep. that they did as youngers. Yep. Like, if you think, like, there's, it's not you know, unusual for a guy to keep his Lego collection into yep. adulthood and continue video Legos into adulthood. Video and, games. Video video games. Yep. Yeah. and there's not really like a girl equivalent for a lot of those things. Nope. And I, so I think nope. it is that like, you know, that's why we do things like have, I don't know, bunko groups or things exactly. like that. that exactly. Yeah. Go out and like find something that is different because it's not like the norm of society. It's like, okay, put the dolls away, put all of these right. things away. And now, yep. now you're a teenager. Yeah. Here's some makeup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's it. And then raise more of those. Yeah. Like make yep. them and raise them more. That's all you do. Yep. Yeah. And I just, um, it never had occurred to me that there was that, that huge gender disparity in it until someone. Yeah. Boys and their toys, like, yeah, like ATVs yeah. and boats and whatnot. Like those yeah. things are very gendered and, and whatnot. And it's not fair. And a lot of what I do when I do uh, workshops that aren't necessarily corporately driven just for um, individuals that are interested in learning more, it's usually women. Now, granted, that's mm-hmm. kind of my community in the Denver area, but it's usually women. And when I point out things like, Kim, your podcast is play. So <laughs> you're already like more playful than you thought you were before you thought of it that way. You right. know, so some of it is just sort of a mindset shift. And then realizing, again, when you think of that aspect of 
playfulness when we're just reframing things. So it doesn't have, you don't have to go buy a guitar. You don't have to take fencing lessons. You know, it doesn't have to be a sport. It doesn't have to be art. It can be if you want it to be, but any, anything could potentially be play for you. And so I think that opens up options Mm -hmm. for people to be playful. Yeah. Yeah. That's my goal. Well, AC, I know that you have another appointment coming yes, up. Yes, my son. Yes. <laughs> From school. It's a very important appointment. Yes. So how can people reach you and maybe connect and maybe uh, take advantage of your services? Yeah. So my uh, website is playfulworkdesign.com because um, that's what that's what we do. We're trying to make work more playful awesome. and design it that way intentionally. So playfulworkdesign.com. Um, I am on the Instas. I'm not super consistent. It's not very business-minded. It's mostly just me. Uh, so no, if you want that one, but it's be boardless. So like the verb be boardless. Gotcha. All over. That's the Instagram. Um, I did put out, I just put out a course today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I was still, that. that was this morning. <sighs> it's been a long day. Um on that like just individuals can take self-paced on demand and it's learning about how play is related to flow, like the flow state being in the zone and what mm-hmm. goes on in our brain and and how we can use play to get into flow more easily and readily. And it doesn't, you know, have to be like an Olympic athlete to, for that to happen. It can just be mm-hmm. random stuff. Very so. cool. Cool. That's out there. Well, good luck with everything and please Thanks. do come back in the future. Yeah. I'd love us more. To. It was right. so good talking to you guys. I want to thank AC for joining us on the podcast. Go check out what she's doing over at www.playfulworkdesign.com. I think she's on to some really great work and great ideas. So go check out what she's doing. And thank you, AC, again for joining us on the podcast. And thank you guys for listening. Please, if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always helps us get a few more eyes on what we're doing and attract those subscribers, which is what we want to do. And so I also want to thank Thera Platform for sponsoring this episode of Telepractice Today. And until next time, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.